0: Vi kom till Midtøsten för att finna ut om verkligheten stämmer med det intryck vi ofta får i Vesten, och bli kastet ut i en verden av etnisk, religiös och politisk mangfold som är er långt mer färgrik än vi kunna föreställa oss. Vi har samtalt med ledende professorer, forretningsfolk, statsmän och religiösa ledere, om religion och politik, om Israel och Gaza, ISIS och islamism de brutala forfølgelsene mot kristne og om jødedom, om hvorfor Vesten tog så feil i sin positive analyse av den arabiske våren, da vi naivt trodde at radikale islamister skulle bringe fred och vestlig demokrati til Midtøsten. What? Do you think, or to what degree do you think Henry Kissinger has a point when he points out that the West really should be more realistic and have a greater respect for the national sovereignty of each nation?
1: I think that Henry Kissinger is exactly right. I would even make it a stronger statement. I think he was a little bit cautious in this. And it's not only in the United States, it's Europe in general, certainly Western Europe and in some ways what we see is an Obama administration in Washington following the lead of Western Europe, certainly in the post-Cold War period, in lacking realism. And in thinking that Western liberal values and political systems, Western democracies, which grew in a very specific cultural historic environment could be just pecked up and applied into Other parts of the world, particularly the Middle East. The the cultural background, the historical background, the identity, everything else is so incredibly different. One of the principles that I've been doing for 30 years is this concept of looking at other countries as if you're looking at a mirror. And that's a big mistake. We take the case of Egypt. In Egypt, there was an election. But nobody in the West, very few people, including I think President Obama in the United States, understood the context of that election. That election brought to power the Muslim Brotherhood. They're not Democrats. They wanted to impose their radical Islamic views on the rest of the Egyptian people. And it would have been a disaster, and the Egyptians didn't want that. This is not a country that has a long history of democracy at all. It's the first time they had any kind of election like this. And the West immediately assumed, aha, this is going to be that moment where they become democratic, like the French Revolution, which also went through its long uh, um, gestation period and its violence, or like the Magna Carta and in in the UK or other places like that. Every country, every culture has to develop its own process.
0: And the political correctness, I think, is a problem that doesn't open up for true information that could have brought uh, more peace, for example, to the Israeli-Palestinian question as well.
1: These are victims, Palestinians are victims, Therefore, Israelis are aggressors, and every image we see is reinforced in that sense. You can't understand the conflict or or help in any way to provide peace because Palestinians become dependent on that uh, refugee status, on the victim status. It's almost like being treated like children. It's patronizing and paternalistic. You can't take care of yourself, so we're going to help you we the europeans with our humanitarian aid and our our political experience will help you against these terrible israelis who are so powerful and that's a complete
2: misreading of the reality on the ground islam has never changed islam is the same that it always was a hundred two hundred five hundred years ago this whole philosophy of of establishing the, the islamic caliphate uh, that existed in Spain, it existed in Europe, it existed throughout, throughout the world. Uh, they haven 't changed. The, the problem is the, the naivety of you of the Europeans of the Western world, and, and, and it 's a naivety that stems from, from the fact that you 're liberal and you 're nice and you 're pleasant and, and you want and you think that this is the, 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 the way of life that everybody wants. And this is in Europe, this is in London, this is in Sweden, this is in Norway, uh, this is in Canada, this is in the United States. And and, um, you all assume that, that, that they prefer to live with your values, but it's incorrect. And this is the same everywhere, throughout the Western world, throughout Europe. You don't read about it in the United States, you don't hear about how many... Muslims and how many fundamentalist Muslims there are in the United States and I don't know why but the number is growing it's growing in Canada and and, and it's become huge in, in, in Europe now the Australians have said something very interesting the Australians have said to the Muslims in Australia either you adapt your values to the Australian way of life and accept the way we live or get up and leave because you have 22, 23 Muslim countries where you can live your own way of life if you want to be Australian then you have to adapt yourself to the Australian liberal way of life the Australian democracy uh, the the, the liberal religious uh, uh, practices you can't dictate your values to the Australian public. Now, if this were to be said by Scandinavian countries, by European countries, it it, it would probably be very important, but I'm not sure whether it's not too late.
0: How do you view uh, Europe in the future?
3: I think that Europe in the future will become more chaotic uh, together with the import of people Huge import. I don't say that you could have let in an immigration, a selective immigration of Muslims, into Europe and not in these numbers. You hadn't a clue how to integrate them. Uh, You will get more tensions. You import also the tensions between various groups in the Middle East. We have seen fights uh, of Kurds and Turks in the Netherlands Not recently. We have seen fights between Yazidis and and Turks in certain parts of Germany. You'll have more of that. You have created for yourself a major problem.
0: Would you say that foreign countries, as they intervene into uh, the issues of... uh, the Middle East, uh, actually are ending up supporting forces that create
3: war instead of peace. Uh, That is to a large extent true. The Palestinians could never have had all these wars if they hadn't been supported by Western countries. The West doesn't understand these countries and the West doesn't want to understand these countries because the West wants one thing from the Arab world oil and left in peace.
0: What went so terribly wrong in the assimilation of the Muslims into Europe?
4: Well, uh, first of all, the Europeans, and not only Europeans, the, the West in general, embraced foolishly a policy at that time, a policy Uh, of multiculturalism, they called it. And they believed then that by embracing every minority which came into Europe, uh, they could facilitate the assimilation of those groups into society. But instead of imposing on them a culture, the culture of the place, and asking them because they are the, the, the guests who come into the host culture to adopt or to adapt rather to the local culture in order to form one nation. They say every minority had the right to its own culture. So we have here two different mentalities two different consciousnesses that are growing in the same society. So it's not multiculturalism, it's anti-culturalism. The the people who don't understand the basic values of Europe that have developed in Christianity within the last 2,000 years. So they come in the last 50 years and they want to reverse everything. And if you don't uh, dare to reverse it or if you resist the reversal, you are a racist because you don't accept ours so it is a certain way of thinking that Europeans simply do not understand
0: jag tänker att detta är er stark kost hur danska det gå oss i europa i åren framöver i mellanöstern har man hanterat brutala förändringar i flera tusen år arkeologin berättar om stora som kom och gick Vad kan vi göra för att bidra med fred och ikke mer krig och uro? Med utsikt över en vacker arabisk bydel tänker jag på dessa historiska områden som är er så specket med spännande berättelser. Jag föler på duften av Mellanösterns eldgamle och krevende själ. Her står vi og ser over ruinene fra den gamle kong David-byen, eh, som var hovedstaden i Israel for 3000 år siden. Og her har de funnit arkeologisk bevis med mynter og med seil, med navnene på de olika sjefene som vi igen igen fra den bibelska tiden og fra Bibelen. Og her er det masse dokumentation nettopp på dette, at dette var altså det stedet her hvor David eh, laget i Jerusalem, and made it to the main of Israel. We know that Abraham was also here approximately 4000 years ago and that he spoke to the king of
4: Salem. That's actually the first time 4,000 years ago and because of that up until today both for Judaism and Christianity the blessing of the bread and wine is so important from that time that the king of Salem gave Abraham bread and wine in that period.
0: There seems to be so many similarities between Christianity and Judaism, one of them being the concept of bread and wine.
4: And the reason is very simple. People forget it or don't know it. Jesus lived in a Jewish city and was Jewish. And that's why Christianity is so similar to Judaism because all of the, all of the first students, all of them grew up in Israel. All of them were walking where we're standing now today. And the new Judaism, they were Jewish, and that's why both religions are so similar in a lot of different ways.
0: Människorna som lever här har alltså tillpassat sig de politiska förhållandena genom årtusenden. Och nu är er byar som Tel Aviv regnet som en av Mellanösterns pärlor, innovativ, supermodern, liberal Herfra er reisen kort til Amman, Dubai, Damaskus, Bagdad og hele regionen preges av en bemerkelsesverdig mangfoldighet. It's such an interesting thing to come to Jerusalem and want to Israel because once you get here, you see the diversity, the Arab food, the uh Jewish quarter, the Christian quarter. Uh, and it's all so different from the impression we get of Israel uh, in the West and especially in Europe. How is that?
5: Well, what you're seeing is Israel as it is and not the, uh, the descriptions of Israel that are in the press and, and, and given by other people who have you know, very nasty ideas about what they would like to do to Israel. Um, Israel is a very diverse country. It has uh, a population uh, from all corners of the earth. The Jewish population, for instance, is not mostly European. In fact, most Jews in Israel, most Israeli Jews, are from North Africa, the Middle East, uh, and Asia. And uh, a little bit under 50% of the Israeli Jewish population is European. Um, And then you have the Arab population. And the Arab population is extremely diverse between uh, mostly Muslim, but even, you know, Christians as well as Druze. Um, There's a very large Bedouin population which is different than the settled um, Arab population. It's a very diverse country and uh, of course, you know, tourists from every country in the world come and visit. What we're seeing today with uh, the the rise in ISIS, the rise in, in other Jihadi terrorist organizations, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, the the Al-Nusra Front, and so on. Um, This radical Islamist Jihadi ideology is, in the 21st century, what communism and fascism was in the 20th century. It is an ideology. It is not a religion. It is not the religion of Islam. It is a very specific ideology, and these radical Islamist movements are a major threat to liberal democratic societies, whether in Europe, the United States, or the Tigers in, in, in Asia. And the sooner the West wakes up and understands that radical Islamism aims to destroy liberal democracies, that this is their goal, this is their, this is their dream, um, the better off it will all be.
6: Israel is a relatively small country, it's much smaller than Norway or other countries of that size, but the diversity is immense. It's a diversity not only in geography, but mostly in human beings, in the people that you see and meet in Israel. We are at the forefront of European values, and this issue of gay and lesbians I think is a very good example. Uh, I am an Israeli diplomat, and our foreign ministry, the Israeli foreign ministry, was the first foreign ministry in the world to recognize homosexual couples as diplomats and to give them full couple rights. Uh, And we are very advanced in this, and I think that this is really a source of pride for all of us.
0: Would you say that foreign powers outside the region and they're meddling into Israeli and, and Palestinian uh, problems uh, actually help create the situation and make it worse?
6: Well, it's hard to say, we welcome the intervention of powers who look at the situation in a a positive way and who want to help us find a solution. In that context, I would like to, uh, to, to remember also the positive Norwegian intervention in 1993 and the Oslo agreements. So this was a positive start. Afterwards, it turned into a disaster. But it was a positive start. So if the intention is good and if the intention is to find a good solution then we welcome uh, uh, our friends from all over the world to come and express their opinion. Uh, But we need this peace because it is good for Israel and it is good for the Palestinians. We want peace and we know that peace comes with compromise and we are ready to pay the price of compromise.
0: Det er är ett fascinerande städ. Jerusalem är er ett slags andligt centrum för troner fra hela världen. Du føler det när du går i gatene. Det är er nu i luften, som är er uforklarlig. kristendomen med sina 2,3 miljarder kristna, islam med 1,2, jødedommen och myriader av minoritetsgrupper har alla en särlig tillhörighet till denna hellige den Jerusalem we often get the impression these days that the Jews actually came in the 1920s as settlers, and then Israel became a, a sovereign state in 1948. But we're here in the synagogue from the 1700s, and you say even as far back as 700s. How 700 years old?
7: Yes, that is true. Actually, the Jews never left Israel, as you call it, mm-hmm. Palestine. But I'm talking about this synagogue. This synagogue was established already in 1267. 1267, by a very famous rabbi that, after a debate between the Jews and the Christians in Spain, had to run away from Spain because he won the debate. And he found Jerusalem completely destroyed with only two Jews here. The whole city was ruins. So he said to these two Jews, let's take one of the ruins and build a synagogue out of this. And this is the foundation of this synagogue.
0: To me, there are so many similarities also between uh, Christianity and Judaism, as both the religions really stem from uh, the same uh, background.
7: You see, the Ten Commandments are actually the essence of the whole of our life. If you really look at it, it says in the beginning of the Ten Commandments to worship the Lord. But in order to worship the Lord, you have to do things. You have to. Be productive, you have to be in relationship with your fellow men. The real truth in the Bible is love your fellow men like you love yourself, and then you will be able to love God. Which is very interesting. This is the similarity between Judaism and Christianity. We, have, we mustn't forget, never, that Jesus Christ was a Jew. It's very difficult for people to understand nowadays that maybe Jesus looked a little bit like me. Maybe he had these curls. Maybe he had also these signs. This is a part of the commandments. As Jews, we have 613 commandments, but the main ones are there, stated on book. From here, from the roof of the Chorva Synagogue, you can see all quarters of the old city of Jerusalem. You see those two churches up there? This is the Armenian quarter that have been in Jerusalem for 1700 years. The Jewish quarter is around you. All these houses with the hats. You see those kippahs every house has. Straight ahead of you, over there, is the Holy Sepulchre and the church, the, all the Christian quarter before your eyes. And in the valley, down there, is the Muslim quarter. Behind the building is the Dome of the Rock and the place of the Temple and the Mount of Olives and all these names, when you hear them, you hear the past ringing here.
0: Jag är fanges av skönheten vid den guldförgyllte klippedommen som vittnar om arabernes islamska tillbedelse av Gud. Jag tänker på de arabiska och jødiske kvinnorna som lever här. Jag tänker på sönerna deres som har håp och drømmer för livet och tar mig och sönern in i bön upp till Gud om att det må bli fred igjen.
8: I think the Western Christians are not very much aware of how many Christians in the Middle East actually are living, and that they are living there for two thousand years. And that our faith really is a tradition which comes from the Christians in the Middle East. And we have been um, separated from those Christians over the last one thousand years due to the Um, blockade that we had from that world Um, and it's only that we over the last uh, 50 years or so are able to penetrate again our roots uh, the root world where Christianity comes from and in the meantime Christians in the Middle East they have um, so little knowledge about the the richness of the faith of the Christians in the Middle East that um, they hardly care about it. For example, you mentioned incense. Why, why is it that Christians in the Middle East use incense? Because it is a remembrance of the Temple. In the Temple you used incense, and so there is, a, there is this relation which is still kept alive, and we in the West, especially the Protestants, are very much um, away from our original faith ground, which is Judaism. And today, many people, many Christians in the pews, They would not dream of saying that they have replaced Israel or the Jewish people. On the contrary, they they would always honor the Jewish people as the people of God, as a chosen people, as a firstborn of God. Jesus is bound to the land of Israel. And as the Torah is part of Israel, or is bound to Israel, so, Jesus, the living Torah, the word of God, is bound to Israel. So if we as Christians say that Jesus has nothing to do with the land of Israel, and we take Jesus away from the Jewish people and the Jewish heritage, then we cannot claim ourselves being Christians because we deny the very basic ground on which Jesus himself was standing,
9: was teaching, I think that personally one of the mistakes that people make is in thinking that Judaism is a religion because it's not really a religion rather the Jews are a people and we have a covenant and the covenant is with the creator and the creator who uh, expressed his love for the forefathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and made a covenant with their descendants forever and brought them forth from Egypt and presented to them the Torah at Mount Sinai based on the 613 commandments, which is an internal covenant. So, uh, you know, in a nutshell, really, when we talk about the faith of Judaism, we're really talking about an ancient way. It's the way of Torah which really has universal significance not only for the people of Israel, but it is a code by which man is challenged to elevate human existence to uh, contact with the divine and to elevate uh, human existence to a divine purpose. You know, I think that for every person that is attached to the God of Israel, whether Jewish or not, any person who believes in the Lord God of Israel, whose name is One, the word Jerusalem is like a symphony on the ear. Jerusalem is mentioned over 700 times in the Bible of Israel and everywhere Jerusalem is synonymous with everything that is good in the world with light, with hope with the future rectified mankind
10: why are 30 percent of the Nobel prizes you guys come from Norway uh, in the sciences over the last hundred years has been given to Jews. Why in the Forbes 400 list, or the rich list in the UK, or the similar lists in Australia, why are 20 or 25% of these people Jewish? What, it, what it's about is that Jews over thousands of years have developed a culture of creativity, of hard work, of achievement, but most importantly of risk-taking. Jews think out of the box. Jews step out of their comfort zone. We've always done so. If you look at our history, people have tried to kill us for quite some time. But there's an old Jewish joke about how do you define a Jewish holiday? They tried to kill us, they didn't succeed. Now let's eat. Okay? The idea being that despite this pressure, we go ahead and choose life. Look. We're sometimes victims, but I don't want to be a victim, right? In other words, we were victims in the Nazis, okay, where my people were destroyed and burned and and, and killed. But the whole idea behind Israel is that we go from being an object of history to becoming a subject of history. It's too long that we've read our history as a series of they killed us, they expelled us, they hurt us. That means that we're an object, that people are making decisions for us. What the Zionist movement said and what led us back from all these countries to Israel is the notion that we're now subjects of history, that we can make our own history. We traveled around the world. Most people who were expelled from their nation forgot about it, assimilated. We didn't. We came home. You know, we're here, we're not going anywhere. So the quicker they get over it and say, you know what, let's make a deal, let's figure out how to live with the Jews. Let's create a better world together. Then not only will this create peace between Arabs and Jews, but it'll really help the rest of the world go forward.
0: Jag ber för Jerusalem. herinne inne vid de punkta vid tempelmuren som är er det närmaste vi kommer det som en gång var det allra heligaste. Gud är er stor och här i stillheten stillner alt i mig i undring och ärefrukt för skaperen och allt som han står för. Jag ber ge oss fred mellan folkeslagene och fred i Jerusalem igen laus älske varandra slik du älsket
2: oss